We are so glad you've joined us today. If God is doing something in your life through this ministry, we want to hear about it. Send us an email at live at trinitynwa.com to tell us your story. You can also go online to give to this ministry by going to trinitynwa.com and clicking the red Give Online button. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to experience more content, visit our website or subscribe to our YouTube channel. I want you to get your Bible. We're going to be looking together today at Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. But while you're, while you're turning there, Matthew 8, uh, there's a story that's told about a, a Muslim man who became a Christian in Africa. And some of his friends asked him, because it's such a price to pay in some of those countries, when you come to Christ, you give up family and friends and, and possessions, you give up everything, sometimes your life, in order to follow Christ. And so they were baffled by this decision of this man to face all that for Christ. And so they asked him, why did you become a Christian? And he said, well, it's like this. Suppose you were going down a road and suddenly the road forked into two different directions. And he said, suppose that there was two men at the fork of that road, one who was dead and one who was alive. Which one would you ask the way to go? Which one would you follow? That's what we're going to talk about this morning for a few minutes. Who will you follow? You know, the, the founders of Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and Confucianism and Taoism and all of the others are dead and gone. They left behind teachings and some of those teachings were very good and very kind. There, there are some, some things that you can uh, learn from some of those religions and some of those leaders that can be beneficial in life, but not spiritually beneficial. They can be beneficial to this life. But all of those leaders left us and never came back. Some of them said some really good things, but then they left us and they never came back. But all of those of us who follow Christ, we are now called Christians, chose to follow Christ because he's the only one of any of them who ever died and rose again. He's the only one that ever came. You say, well, not really. Yes, it's really true. Historically, this guy, Jesus, died on a cross and the Roman soldiers witnessed his death. In fact, one of them stabbed a spear up into his side in order to make sure that he was dead. And they took him off, the, off that cross and then there were other people there who buried him. There were all the people that were present, all of those that passed by, those who were at the tomb, they saw that he was literally dead. But he rose again three days later. Good Friday, that Friday wasn't good for him, but it was good for me. 
Three days later on Sunday, he emerges from the tomb. And the scripture says in a span of a short period of time, he is seen by 500 or more people. He visits with them. He eats with them. He travels with them. He gives them instructions. And some of them even are present when he ascends from the earth to heaven to go sit at the right hand of the Father. There were people there that even actually saw him go up. One of the greatest cover-ups in all of mankind's history was that of the Romans and the leaders of the day trying to hide the fact that Jesus had come back to life. The devil was very afraid because he knew what was going to happen. He's been fighting that ever since. He's been fighting you ever since. He's been fighting days like this ever since because he knows how powerful the resurrection of Jesus was. Jesus set himself apart from any other religious leader that ever had been or ever would be. And the way he distinguished himself from all of the religious leaders was this. He was different from them, not just in the resurrection, but he was different from them because he wasn't just stating a religion. He was God, somebody say amen. He was God himself in flesh. He was the creator of all of life, and therefore he was the creator of even death, and therefore he was the ruler over both. And no one from any other religion No other great author or leader has ever been able to tell us how to come back from the dead. So you think about this logically for a minute. If you were in a life and death situation. And you were going to ask someone how to get out of this predicament. Would you ask a living individual who had been through that and come back and knew the way, or would you ask a dead person laying on the side of the road? Well, pastor, that's just foolish. Of course, we're going to ask the individual who's been there and back. He knows the way. Exactly. Who are you going to follow? The one who's been there and knows the way, the one who rose and, sh- and shows the way through not just life but death, or are you going to follow the one who's already dead? Regardless of how good he was, I'm going to follow the one that can lead me to life. Hmm. Simple logic demands that. It reminds me of a story that about Jesus' ministry early on. He was talking to people about whether or not they should be following him. I'll take you to Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. Jesus saw a crowd around him. He ordered his disciples to cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And a scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to sleep. Do you know what he was saying right there? He was saying, I want you to think about this decision. Because this decision to follow me now is not about security here. It's about security there. You may want to count the cost, he was saying, because it is costly to follow Jesus. 
I'm not one of those preachers that gets up and just tells everybody, come on, just come on. I want everybody just, I don't, you don't have to think this through. Just make a decision. Just pray a simple prayer. Uh, If we never see you again, just pray this prayer and we'll see you in heaven. I can't be that guy. I'm that guy who says, man, it costs you something to follow Christ. Think about it. Jesus said, if you're going to build a house, you better sit down and count the cost of what that's going to entail. But there's a lot of people on this planet running around all over the place who think that they're going to heaven because at some point in their life they said some little simple prayer that they didn't mean that didn't change their life because they didn't count the cost. They didn't think it through. They weren't ready to make that kind of a decision. So they prayed a little prayer and then they just kept on living the way they were living before. But the scripture said that when you are a new creation, you are a new creation in Christ. It means that you would repent. And whenever repentance is talked about in the New Testament, it always uses it this way in God's word translation. Change the way you think and act. If you have not changed the way you think and act as a result of that prayer, then you have not counted the cost And all you did was pray a prayer. Who are you going to follow? The living or the dead? Another disciple came to Jesus and he said, Sir, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And when you read that statement, it seems crass. It seems rude and it seems unthoughtful doesn't it It, it's almost disrespectful you read that statement that jesus makes to this man and you're almost like oh wow lord why did you why'd you have to be so mean to that guy first thing you need to understand is this jesus would never be disrespectful of a father or a mother so i don't think this guy's dad was even dead we'll see that here in a few minutes talk a little bit more about that Jesus is never going to tell us to disrespect our parents or our family. This isn't about a dad who is dead and a son that simply wants to go to the funeral before he leaves everything to follow Christ. It wasn't like that. So then what was this about? What is Jesus saying to this recruit? The Bible calls this guy a disciple. But you need to understand something about that. He's not one of the 12. He's just simply one of the people who is making a decision to either follow Jesus each day as he's listening to him or occasionally... Anyone back in those days that was a follower of someone else was considered that person's disciple. And regardless of the extent of that, I suppose, this individual is perhaps following Jesus from a distance, like some of us may be. I'm dabbling with this Jesus decision. I like things I hear about it. Some of it makes sense, but I haven't been able to answer all the questions. Haven't really committed to this. I may have prayed a prayer. I've gone to church a few times. I've read some literature. I've, I've read the Bible. Some, I, you know, I've, I've listened here and there. But I've never really made a decision to wholeheartedly enter into this God thing. It still just seems a little strange to me. I, I'm following Jesus, but at arm's length. Perhaps this is what's going on with this disciple He's called a disciple, but he's not a committed disciple. He's not a dedicated disciple. He's not one of those persons that Christ could count on to help build his kingdom. He's just a guy that's kind of hanging around on the perimeter of the movement. And he's listening to 
see if this is something he would perhaps want to be a part of. And that's okay. Because that's in fact what Jesus tells those prospects to do. It's not easy. It's not free. It's a sacrifice of time and talent and treasure to be a true disciple of Christ. It's not for the faint of heart. It's costly, but it's worth the cost. So what is this guy that we're talking about today? What, what, what is it that, that he says? What's he say to Jesus? He says, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, but first let me go bury my father. What's he possibly really saying here? Jesus knew the possibilities that might go through his head. If he didn't make this decision sooner than later, he might not make it at all. Hmm. So what's Jesus' response? Let the dead bury their own dead. I think that's interesting verbiage there, the phraseology. Let the dead bury their own dead. When you understand that statement, which we will in a few minutes, you'll begin to understand why this was not as unkind as it sounds initially. Let the dead bury their own dead. So an old theologian years ago, Albert Barnes, he wrote about the subject and he said the Jews used the word dead often to express indifference towards something or to show that something had no influence over them. And he used some examples. He talked about how that in the word you see every once in a while it says to be dead to, uh, to be dead to the world. Uh, to be dead to the law, Romans 7 and 4. To be dead to sin, Romans 6, 11. What the author in those passages is saying, that the world or the law or the sin do not have influence or control over them. That they are free from those things. And so it's a very, it's a very, um, a very active descriptive word to simply say that because I am over something that doesn't control me, it's dead to me. And some people make those statements about people that when they just had it with them, like, you're dead to me. Have you ever heard somebody say something like, you're just dead to me? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very cruel thing to say, but it was more custom in this culture to use that phraseology to talk about things that were, that were not going to control them. They would just say, I'm dead to the law. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to the world. Meaning, it doesn't control me anymore. It doesn't have any influence over me. So Jesus is simply responding basically by saying, let those people who are uninterested in my work, those who are dead in sin, in sin, take care of dead things. But your duty is to be dead to sin. Let them be dead in sin, if that's their decision, and let them worry about dead things. We're not talking about a, a, a young man's dead dad, who may not even be dead yet, who may not even be sick, I don't know. The point being here is Jesus is saying, let people who are interested in dead things take care of dead things, but your decision is to Take care of the living things. Who will you follow? Mm. So there's several reasons, I think, why Jesus may have spoken these words. Number one, it's just, this one is, it, it goes for all of us. I believe he spoke these words to test the character of that, of that man, that disciple, and also his level of commitment. 
Because Jesus knew that if this man truly loved him and loved the Father, he'd be willing to leave everything and follow him and do it now. And that's the decision that every one of us had to make or has to make. Jesus is looking at us that same way, or he did at one point. When you came to Christ, it was, it's, it was a decision that he said to you, you're going to have to do this or not, but you have to decide. You're either all in or you're all out, but you can't be partially either way. And the scripture even talks about what happens to people who try to follow Christ that he called lukewarm. Those individuals that would claim that they're a Christian, but there's no fruit, there's no active, there's nothing in their life that would suggest that they're living the life of a Christian. No change has happened. They're still living just as much in sin as they were before. And, and I know that when you become a Christian, sometimes it takes a while for the Holy Ghost to clean you up. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that are, that are living, living in sin and their conscience isn't even bothering them. The sin that they're living in doesn't even bother them, yet they claim to be a Christian. And the scripture would say about those individuals, hey, if you're neither hot or cold, you're lukewarm. And what's Jesus say? Revelation. And I will spew you. That's even a harsher word than the dead. I will puke you out of my mouth is what it means. Who will you follow? Because there's a decision to be made. Because lukewarmness makes Jesus sick. Pastor, you're not being very kind today. I'm preaching. I'm just preaching. I'll do this to you every week. I do this to you and myself every week. Nothing's changed. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, then you're going to be willing to follow me. And this is a test of your character and your commitment. Second reason why I think Jesus may have made that comment to him. Because Jesus knew that if that man went home, his friends and family might oppose that decision And they might present some type of argument as to why he should not return to Christ. Some of you are fighting that battle. Someone over coffee or in a classroom or somewhere, someplace has told you. If you're seriously considering Jesus, you're not very intelligent. You cannot be very logical, analytical, or rational to believe that someone was born of a virgin, died on a cross, and rose again, and is still alive. Are you kidding me? And that he's actually going to come back and get you someday and take you with him to a place called heaven? Really? And how many people who, because they thought they were so smart, were so stupid that they missed truth. Sobering. Jesus thought about this man. If you go and you keep thinking about this, this is not about thinking. This is about faith. Sure, you got to consider this. You got to think this through. But, but at some point, faith has to take over. And with the, the simple faith of a child, you have to just believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And accept him. And determine to follow him. Jesus knew if this guy goes back home, somebody may persuade him not to come back. And number three... It may have been that Jesus 
saw that if this guy went back home, he might choose his family over following. This young man is saying, hey, my dad, whether he's dead or not, is someday going to die. I run into people all the time that are that they're just they're, they're the reasons why they can't serve Christ the way that they know they should is because they're like, well, you know, I'm taking care of family. I've got kids to raise. We're, we're, I'm trying to sell, you know, I'm trying to sell something. I can't sell it and be honest. I, you know, I, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to at some point when I get when I get down further in, at, a, at a better place in my life where it's easier than I, I intend to do this. But right now it's not feasible. It doesn't financially make sense for me to try to live up to what scripture says I would live up to as a believer. Jesus knew this guy was going to struggle. He was going to struggle if he didn't make a decision right now. Number four reason, I believe this was in Christ's mind and it is at all times, again, for all of us, that even if this young man's dad was dead, and his mama, and his wife, and his sister, and his brother, and his children, if they were all dead, that is still no excuse to put off the decision to follow Jesus. Mm. It's a fixed duty. Can't be deferred, it can't be neglected, regardless of whatever your circumstance may be. There's a decision for us to make. And we have to make that choice now before anything else happens, regardless of what else happens. Here's what you need to understand about now and everything before us and everything that follows us. You can't make your decision in light of any of that because you're making your decision based on who God is. And who God is will not change, has never changed, will never change. Doesn't matter the circumstances. Doesn't matter if you're happy today or if you're sad today, if things are good or if things are bad, if it's raining or if the sun is shining. It doesn't make a bit of difference. God is who God is every day and has always been and will never be anything other. You're making a decision for Him, not for what you think He should have done, could have done, might do. Pastor, I'm going to come to Christ once I understand everything about the Bible. Then you're never going to come to Christ. I've been doing this a long time. I've been preaching this word a long time. And there are still situations that I find myself in that I struggle for answers for people. I can't tell you why things happen the way they do. And I can't tell you why God does some things and not others. I don't know that. I, I've started to figure out, I think that God does what he does in the miraculous realm when it is to benefit his overall purpose. So that he doesn't always do everything I want done if it doesn't somehow lead to that. I don't know. But I know that he can even that. I know that he can do anything. And I've seen him do a lot of things a whole lot of things for me that I didn't deserve. But I, I cannot make my decision on whether I'm going to follow him based on whether somebody died that I prayed for and they didn't live. Or if somebody got sick and I prayed they wouldn't. I, 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 I got to make this decision 
based on a condition of a soul that's going to live forever somewhere. We had a big old pile of brush out at our house that had to be burnt. Took us two nights. We burned on it for about seven hours one night and finally did just put water on it. We went to bed and got up next night and lit it up again. Standing by that fire, every once in a while I'd get close enough because I've always been, you know, that kid. Loved to play with fire. I nearly burnt the parsonage down one time over at Batavia. Out there playing with the fire. So every once in a while I had to get close and throw a pine cone in. And I was standing right over that fire and it was so intensely hot. And I said to Deb, nobody deserves to go to hell. See, in your mind, you might be thinking, oh, I can think of some people historically deserve to go to hell. No, wait, 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 wait. Hang on for a minute. The scripture said that hell is a place... Where the fire is not quenched and the worm never dies. That people there are weeping and wailing and gnashing themselves with their teeth because they're in such misery. And it's not just for a moment. All I can find in scripture is that it lasts forever. I would love to be an annihilist when it comes to hell. I would love to be an annihilist. An annihilist says... That a person who dies without Christ dies, they are thrown into the lake of fire and they burn up and they're gone and it's done. I would love to be that guy. But I can't find it in the scripture. And yet I stand over the heat of that fire and I say to myself, there is nobody through history that deserves to be in that forever. I know there's a lot of people that deserve to die for what they've done. Yeah. People deserve to, if they take a life sometime, they deserve to lose a life. That's just, I, whatever. We can discuss politics some other time. But even that, even at that, I can't think of anybody that would deserve to roast in a lake of fire for eternity. And then it hit me. As least as I think people deserve to go to hell, the Holy Spirit was saying to me, that's how little you deserve to go to heaven. Never hit me like that before. You mean you don't think you're good enough? Oh, my Lord, no. I am not good enough. In fact, it looks like that hell is normal. Stay with me a minute. Because the scripture says that anyone that doesn't make a decision for Christ is going to hell, which no one deserves to go to. In my mind. But the only way anybody's going to get to heaven and escape that is by following Christ. And when they get there, they won't deserve it. Because had they not made the decision, they would have gotten what they deserved, which is what everybody's going to get if they don't make that choice. Stand next to a fire for about five minutes and see if that's a place you want to get in and stay for eternity. No, you don't deserve that. Nobody deserves that. No one should have to endure that. 
But nobody deserves to go to heaven either. And the only way we're going to get there is if we follow the living, risen Christ. Sober, pastor. Wow. Where's all the jokes? Maybe next week. Jesus said, let the spiritually dead handle the spiritually dead matters. Your choice is to choose life and to choose God and to choose heaven. And let the devil have all this here. Because all of this here is going to burn anyway. I've never been a very good follower. I'm just going to be honest. Those of you that know me very well know that I don't follow well. I'm not arrogant or anything i'm just that kid that don't follow well not trying to be mean i'm not trying to hurt anybody it's just i've always enjoyed the view from the front of the pack more than from the back if i was one of those sled dogs i've thought about how much I would want to be the lead dog because can you imagine what it would look like and smell like if you weren't For miles. What'd you look at today? I'm not going to say the word. And because I don't want to look at. I try to get in front. Drive in front. Run in front. Walk in front. If we're going somewhere. I'm going to try to. It's not a competition so much as it. I just. I just. Don't like everybody else's pace. So I've never been a very good follower. Following doesn't come natural. And I don't follow very many people. And the only ones that I follow are those that have proven themselves to me that they're worth following. And they're people that I look up to and they're people that I trust and people that I respect. I used to love to follow my dad. My dad was six foot five, about 285. Even when I was a little kid back in the 70s, 6'5 in 1970 was huge. Going to an apartment store, if I ever got lost, there's no way I was going to find mama. She was 5'2. But if I could climb up on a clothes rack, all I had to do was scan, and the head that would be head and shoulders above everybody else in the store was dad. There he is. And when kids be talking about my dad could whip your dad, I'm like, oh no, he can't. Oh, no, he can't. That might work with the other kids, but you hadn't seen my dad. I was 14 years old, guys. I was 14. I weighed 120. That's not all that much, right? But any of you that ever lifted weights, 120 pounds living is different than 120. Anybody, if, if, I'm not going to ask, but if any of y'all have ever, ever done anything, you ever grabbed a hold of a 120-pound dumbbell? That's heavy. A 120-pound dumbbell is what, if you sit that up on somebody else's leg, your back goes while you're sitting it up there. 14 years old, just got home from school one day. Dad come running in the house. He said, how are you doing today, boy? I said, I'm doing okay. Before I could even think, he had his big old hand on my stomach, and he went whoop and pressed me up and held me with one hand over his head on the roof, on the ceiling. My legs are kicking. He's grinning. He's loving me. He puts me down and I walked away and learned a valuable lesson. 
I will never jack with this man. If he can do that, I will never jack with this individual. That'll make an impression on you. One hand. So we would go out in the woods. We'd go hunting. Love to go hunting with dad. He would always say to me, follow wherever I am. Just follow in my footsteps. And as a little boy, I would desperately, he did that to keep me from whatever was going to get us, you know. And so I would do my very best. Actually, I wouldn't even pay attention around me. I would hop because his stride was so long. I would hop to stay right in those footprints because that's what he told me to do. You can't believe how many limbs I took in the face looking down trying to stay in those footsteps slap I never minded whatever it cost to follow dad I never minded it because he was worth me following he never went off and left me he always stayed right there with me was never in a big hurry he always was patient had time for me to catch up he was worth following He was a, a good leader. He was a great leader. Any of you that knew him. But Jesus is the master leader. Who said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, but I'll be with you until the very end of all things. So several years ago, I made a decision that I would follow Jesus for the rest of my life. And I've been following him so long now that I don't know how to go anywhere unless he leads. I have become so dependent upon him. I have become so comfortable following him. I can't make a decision without asking him first. Never a big one. Even in my time with him this morning, When I said, Lord, in my flesh, I want to pray this rain away. But I said, Lord, you know what? You may know that come August, we might need this water to drink. So why don't you do whatever you need to do and what you want to do? And how about we'll deal with what's left? And we'll trust you and we'll follow you. This is what your life will look like when you make a decision to follow Jesus. You'll deny yourself, you'll take up your cross, and you will follow him wherever the branches slap for the rest of your life. And then someday you'll lay down the cross, and you'll look through the pearly gates, and you'll say, wow, so this is what we were doing? I don't deserve to be here, but man, I'm glad to be. Somebody say amen. Who will you choose? At the fork in the road? The guy laying dead on that path? With all kinds of books laying around him of good sayings? Or will you choose the one who's living that says, I've already been there and back and I know the way? Hmm. When I think about the torture and the crucifixion and the humiliation... 
and the death that he suffered, it makes me sad to think about. But I love what the old theologian, his name was Jürgen Moltmann, and he expressed in one single sentence the great span of Good Friday to Easter Sunday. It's, it, it, I'll give you the statement in a second, but it's actually a, a, a statement of the history of mankind, past, present, and future. Here's what he said. Listen to this. Isn't this good? He said, God weeps with us so that we may someday laugh with him. All that bad stuff that you think is keeping you from Christ, it makes him just as sad as it makes you. Let the dead bury their own dead. You're past that. Let the spiritually dead matters be handled by spiritually dead people. And you take this moment to choose life. Not later. Not, not if, but in spite of anything that life will throw at you from this point on. Circumstance cannot change your decision. You don't need more time to consider the ramifications. He doesn't have to prove anything else to you. You just need to choose to follow him. The question before you this morning is that. Will you choose to follow him? That's it. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, because many souls are being weighed in the balances. And there are people today who perhaps if they don't choose you today, will be like this man and the cares of life or too much knowledge family and friends may talk them out of the best life they could have ever had I bind the enemy in this place right now I speak clarity over the minds of every individual and conviction of the Holy Ghost rests on us right now that those in this room who are not prepared to meet their Jesus would make a decision to do so today. I'm going to tell you straight up this morning, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front if you make a decision, but I'm going to give you the opportunity. I'm not going to ask you to. You can if you want. But nobody in this room is looking, just me. So I just want to acknowledge the fact that this word has gotten into your heart. And I'm going to ask you right now, if you would, if, if, if I could ask you that, you would say, Pastor, today I am asking Jesus to come into my heart. Some for the very first time. If that was you, nobody's looking. It's just me. Everybody's praying for you. But if you're saying, Pastor, I've never done this. I've never asked Jesus into my heart. But I've got to do this. And I know I'm ready. I'm convinced by the word. I'm convinced by this thing that I'm feeling in my heart which is conviction if that's you slip your hand up raise it up hold it up hold it up hold it up put them up keep them up keep them there until I can see you amen I see I see you can put them down how many more how many more raise your hand say I've never done this but I want to today how many brave souls will join this one that's already lifted his hand how many others would say I, I prayed a prayer but man I'm not where I should be I I prayed a prayer, but I didn't really count the cost. My life hasn't changed as a result. I, I need to give my heart to 
Jesus. I need to die to myself and ask him to take control of my life. How many more people would join us and raise your hand? I, raise them up. Let me see you. Keep them up a minute because I'm going to try to scan this whole crowd. All right? Hold them hands up. Put them up. There's one, two. How many more? Three. How many more? Four. Keep going. I'm looking for you. You can put the hands down now, guys. Thank you so much. Five people this morning and are making this decision. During this last song, we're going to have a time of prayer. Please, please don't get in a hurry. Children are not going to be turned loose without you. Restaurants are still going to be open when you get there. And the Lord has the ability to allow that roast that you are putting in the oven that you left there and you had to be home at a certain time he has the ability to keep that thing from burning just pray that prayer mama just pray that prayer god don't let that roast burn because here's what's really important right now that five people are not distracted and hindered in their decision because you're in a hurry to go out the back doors and cause light to flood the sanctuary respect the moment and during this last song as they lead us in this song all over this building, I want you to pray. Every person in this room be praying. Be praying for the people that had their hands in the air. And for those of you that had your hands in the air, during this song, it's just like this. Listen to me. Here's what I want you to do. Pray a little prayer like this and mean it. If you mean it, it's, this, is what, this is all it takes. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me for my past. I want to live for you. From this day onward, I'm not my own, but I'm yours. Lead me, and I'll follow you all of my life. Amen. Now, when the song is sung, every person in this room has the freedom. Move around, come to the altars. And the five of you that lifted your hand, if you want to walk down here with the rest of them, and you want to kneel down, and you want to pray your prayer, Pray it up here, pray it back there. I don't care where you do it, but all over this room, you have the liberty and the freedom to now stand or sit or kneel. But I want us all to be in prayer. And for those five, make sure you pray that prayer. And for those five, please make sure that you see myself or Kyle or, 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 or Chad. You'll see him on the platform in a minute. Or one of the workers back there. These individuals that you recognize are leaders. Go to them. And let them know the commitment that you've made today. Confess that. Confess Christ to that individual. Will you do that? Lead us and let's pray. Come on, let's pray.